0: Mythos listeners, this is Nicole Schmidt, and I now have episode two of Lockdown Lore for you with a guest telling from Jason Buck, a UK-based storyteller. In drawing on traditional favorites and introducing new ideas, Jason's stories are told in the oldest and best ways as live performances for modern audiences and he has performed across the UK and mainland Europe, blending traditional and contemporary motifs, vocal sound effects, and pure unadulterated fantasy. Jason has been a performer most of his adult life, including cabaret and comedy, but his passion lies in stories. And in fact there's nothing like getting lost in the story. The pictures in your head are better than film. Jason has written and published four collections of his own stories, won silver at the last grand annual lying festival and best bard at profound decisions, theater of joy and sorrow. He is also a member of the society for storytelling, a skilled celebrant for weddings, hand fastings, namings and funerals, and a member of the UK society of Celeb- uh, celebrants. Excuse me. So if you want to find out about Jason's shows, then you can go to www.jasonbuckstoryteller.co.uk You can also follow him on Facebook, um, Jason Buck Storyteller, once again. And I would highly recommend keeping up to date with his shows. Um, He is truly talented, engaging, and is continually producing new material. And he is doing Zoom shows at the moment, given the current situation, to excellent effect. And the story you're about to hear... Is a story that was inspired by the idea of avenging forest spirits, creatures made of the forest itself, you know, much like the recently released Birch from indie folklore online station Crypt TV, and of course, as well as more traditional monsters like the Slavic Leshi. So listen and enjoy.
1: There is a land where the summers are short, the winters are long and full of ice, and the forest covers all. And in many parts of that country, like any other visitor, the dead are always welcome at the hearth. Not the bones or bodies that are simply the mortal carriage, but the shades of those dear departed who have not yet crossed over, who may still have purpose and are sorely missed by those they left behind. As the fruitful year dies away and the first snows are soon to fall, there are many homes where, on one particular late autumn night, a glass of strong spirits and a honeyed cake are left at the hearth for the dead, who are welcomed to that home or hall. Now there are some who say that this is just a tradition and a way of finding solace in memory, but there are others who say that in the morning the hearth has been swept a new fire laid, and the drink and the cake are gone. Not so peaceful as the hereafter for those whose graves are unmarked, whose bodies were not laid to rest with kindness and tears, those who are lost in the forest and lost forever. Lost Like the young woman whose house was burned on her wedding night, her new husband slain as he lay in her arms, leaving her to run from their attackers, run into the night, and run deep into the forest. No quiet, tended grave or honeyed cakes for the young wife's ghost, but the unending pain of her lost love her wedding gown torn and taken to line the nests of crows, her bones gnawed by foxes, pierced by tree roots, clothed in velvet moss and studded with garnet mushrooms that soften and blacken in the winter amongst the quiet of the forest pines. Later, another young woman was on her way to be married. She was travelling from her village to that of her betrothed and escorted by her two brothers and their father. Although they stayed on the path, it was deep in the forest and far from help that they were set upon. The men fought bravely, allowing their sister, their daughter, time to escape as she fled into the trees, baying like hounds, knowing it was only time before the girl weakened and they would fall upon her. The pillared trunks of the pines grew closer and closer, and the light from the sun grew fainter and fainter as hunter and hunted pushed deeper and deeper into the forest's heart. Tiring, the young woman fell, stumbling, gasping for breath onto the soft, deep, pungent carpet of needles. As she fell, she didn't notice that her hand closed around a finger bone lying thinly covered on the forest floor, a finger bone that still bore a ring, a wedding ring. The young woman got to her feet again, unthinkingly clutching the finger bone and its ring, but this time when she ran, gossamer strands of mist followed in her wake, fanning out behind her like the train of a dress. Her pursuers didn't notice the mist. They didn't notice it growing and thickening around their ankles. In the heat of the chase, they didn't feel the unseasonal cold dragging its nails down their legs. Finally, the young woman was cornered. In a forest hollow, against a low and ragged cliff, exhaustion took her, and she fell down into the white vapours, and they closed over and covered her. The hunters slowed, knowing that the chase was won, grinning and hungry for their prize. But the figure that stood up out of the pool of mist was not their quarry. Glowing white shreds of chill fog rolled off the shoulders of the female form, hugging her like a silk gown. But it was the sight of her body that made the men stand as still as the trees that surrounded them. Roots and sticks and leaves and moss and stones and the creatures that crawl and wriggle through the litter of the forest floor combined to make a sketch of bones and hair and knotted, gnarly sinew. If, in life, she had ever been beautiful. She was now terrible to look upon and a host to long brooded vengeance. In the pregnant, fear-filled silence, a quiet creak was heard like a branch in a night breeze as vines and roots moved and twisted to allow the hideous figure to open wide her mouldered mouth. And then she screamed. And as she screamed, all the horrors of the night poured from that terrible moor, and the air was filled with the shrieking of bats and clouds of flapping moths and the howls of wolves and skittering blood-eyed rats poured forth and ran like black sanguine down her front Those men who did not or could not run themselves screaming into the forest to meet their own lonely fates were held fast where they stood. Not just immobilized by fear, but bound to the ground by reaching roots that sprang up through the floor, wrapping around their legs and bodies. Great boughs of trees swept down and beat and broke them. Small animals crept from holes and burrows and ravaged their flesh, and all the while the entangling roots squeezed the breath from their bodies and popped their bow. And as all this was happening, the men who now wept and called for their mothers could do naught but watch the ghastly spectre as she slowly processed towards them, until, as their pain and fear was at its worst, she came to kiss each of them in turn. A kiss that was filled with the sweetness of leaf mould as pine needles and soft earth poured into their mouths and filled their throats. When the young woman awoke, it was to find herself not far from the path she had fled from. Her father with a bloodied makeshift bandage around his head, woke her and held her before he took her back to where her wounded brothers were resting. She couldn't remember how she had escaped or how she had found her way back. She couldn't even remember where she had found the ring that she was now wearing next to her little finger on her left hand. But later, after she was happily married, her own wedding ring worn alongside the ring from the forest, what she did know was that her baby slept sounder and longer than any of her neighbours, and that on an autumn night, if a honeyed cake and a glass of strong spirits were left out for the dead, the next morning her hearth was as clean as it had ever been, and the fire that was now laid there burned longer and hotter than any she could have ever laid, and no man, or wolf, or beast ever came out of that forest to bother that village again for a whole generation.